Minister, a very good morning to you and uh, Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you too. So, schools in in session and a lot of parents were demanding if the first two weeks the break the break could be extended because we're still in the first incubation period after the holidays. Uh, why not delay the the winter break for for another 14 days so that there was there could be more confidence for parents before they send their kids to school? Yeah, and I I I know that everybody was very much looking forward to the to the winter break by the by the time we got there at the at the end of December. It's been a, certainly been a long haul for everybody and parents and kids and teachers everybody has been doing such an incredible job keeping our schools open and safe so that kids can kids can be there. But there was a decision made by the provincial health officer in December in her assessment of the uh evidence about how uh, things are developing with with transmission and uh in weighing up all of the uh the the relative um issues uh, the decision was made that there wasn't any evidence to suggest that extending the winter break would do any good in the, in the situation so uh, rather than uh create potentially creating more problems uh by having parents needing to find uh uh, uh, uh child care arrangements potentially for kids um uh putting children in uh in unstructured environments uh during an extended break mm-hmm. um the the decision was that it it's safer actually for 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 kids to be in school and i think we're seeing that i think you know i've talked to lots of parents over the course of uh uh the last little while and i i i know that parents were were really looking forward to having their kids back in school teachers were looking forward to being back um teaching and and kids really want, were looking forward to being back back in school so we've got you know the more structure and stability we have during this time um that's really helpful uh to uh to try to um you know just keep keep us moving along mm-hmm. but just before the schools opened uh, there was this um information that came around that earl marriott secondary school in south surrey uh before the winter break had 50 positive cases of covid-19 so that was something which i think uh which which caused the confidence to wane a bit among some yeah. some parents how concerned were you when you heard that Yeah, I mean uh, uh clear uh, obviously I was very concerned when I when I heard that and you know this is a case where the the timing was really working a- a- against us because we uh we were aware of a certain number of cases um heading into the Christmas break knew of course that given that the school would be closed for 2 weeks that whatever happened that that would have been the you know the, the isolation period anyway so that we knew that by the time um uh kids were coming back to school that the issue would have resolved but of course very unsettling for parents to receive notification over the weekend leading up to schools opening again that there had been this big cluster of cases and just want to say that i mean very clearly that is um uh, the situation at Earl Marriott is very unusual we are not seeing significant cluster of case clusters of cases like that mm-hmm. in other parts of our school system and there are very particular reasons why the uh the uh, that situation developed at Earl Marriott we know that it has to do with uh, it was limited to um to physical education uh limited to the common area that was involved was the gym um mm-hmm. and so we're looking into that the district is looking into that we're going to make sure that we learn uh the the lessons that that there are to learn from that situation so we can make sure that it doesn't happen in, uh, again or in other schools mm-hmm. Earlier this week uh, the BCTF wrote a long list of recommendations and they mm-hmm. sent it to you I believe 30 of them 30 recommendations and they've asked the government to issue province wide instructions for schools rather than relying on local health authorities is that something you're willing to consider 
Well, I mean, I, I, I want to say that, you know, we're, we're working with the BCTF and all of our education partners and have been throughout the, throughout the pandemic on the school restart plan. And that plan is a provincial plan that was developed uh, in conjunction with all of our partners and the BC Centre for Disease Control uh, over the summer leading up to the restart of school in, in September. And to support that general restart plan, we have um, specific district safety plans in each district. And those safety plans um, can, be, uh, can be adjusted and adapted um, depending on the particular conditions in the um, in the in the districts, and in fact, that that happens. You know, if there are plexiglass barriers needed, for example, in a school, mm-hmm. a district is is able to address that. So, uh, I, I know that there are uh, that there are very many concerns that that teachers have around uh, their the education environment and their and their working conditions. And we are we meet with them on a on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. uh, and we're in a process right now where uh, where we're looking at the, at those recommendations and working through uh, a number of them with the with with teachers and with our partners. Mm-hmm. The school restart plan that you mentioned that was developed uh, before schools reopened in September, and a lot has changed since then. We now know that the second wave is a lot more uh, aggressive than what it was previously believed to be. Uh, is that restart plan going to be reviewed or some uh, some changes are, are slated to be made to that? Yeah, I mean, for example, with uh, what, what we've learned about physical education and uh, sort of stemming from the not only the situation with Earl Marriott, but Earl Marriott put a particular point on the on the need to review how we're delivering physical education, particularly given that we're into the winter season, we can't be outside. We need to uh, to make adjustments to that. For so, for example, yes, those those are the kinds of adjustments we're looking at to to that plan. We're looking at music courses, the music stream as uh, as well. Mm-hmm. What kind of resources are available for remote learning? Because a lot was being said last year, especially during September that a lot of investment will be made to make sure that the remote option is available for parents. Uh, going forward and, and considering how, again, the second wave is behaving, what sort of remote learning options are there? Well, we have, uh, in the vast majority of our district, uh, the, the districts are providing uh, remote learning options for, uh, for kids. And overall, what we saw in September was 90% of um, of kids returning to school. So that means one in nine students, in, and that's over 650 kids across the province, nine, uh, nine out of ten are, are attached to a school. And of that, uh, so that means that they're not in a, um, in a homeschooling uh, or a completely uh, uh, what we call a distributed learning program, which is, a, uh, which, is a, which is an online learning program separate from that existed before COVID. And of the 90% of kids that, that came back to school, 80% of them are actually in a classroom. Mm-hmm. So we have a relatively small number of kids who are, uh, uh, who are in um, what we call transition programs because they were meant to be temporary. They're not meant to, these ones are not, these programs are not meant to be permanent features of our education system. They're meant to deal with the particular conditions around COVID. And right now we're doing uh, an assessment. Uh, we'll know next week what the numbers are going to be for, uh, for the remainder of the school year um, and whether, whether, that, whether that will go up or down. We know, for example, in my home constituency of New Westminster, mm-hmm. that, there was, that, that some families have returned, uh, want, uh, returned their kids to in-class learning and a few other families have gone off. So it's a bit of a wash in 
uh, in, in New Westminster. And we'll do an assessment of the province just to see what the numbers are. And we will continue to provide support to districts to continue to provide those uh, those, those remote learning options. We understand that for some families, they just are, are not uh, comfortable with COVID and are not in a position to return their, their children to school. And so if there are any parents out there who want to look at those options, who are concerned about, uh, about the situation, I'd encourage them to speak with the principal at their school mm-hmm. who can work with the district to ensure that they have the information they need to make that decision. The BCCDC has now accepted that COVID-19 can spread through the air. And uh, so doesn't that increase the safety issues in class, especially during the winter months? Because ventilation could be a huge issue. What, what more can be done on that front now that the BCCDC has accepted that it can, in fact, uh, the, the virus can, can be airborne and can transmit beyond the distance of six feet? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, so I'm not um, attached to public health, and I don't want, I don't want to miss, miss, uh, mm-hmm. uh, speak with respect to, to, to public health. I mean, it is, it has been my understanding, sort of through the pandemic, that we understood that um, that that droplet, that the droplets in which the virus is contained, um, can can travel, that they can be, uh, that they that they can uh, that they can travel through the air, and that sometimes six feet is, in certain conditions, um, perhaps not enough. So I. I I don't have a sense myself of how um, sort of you know significant the the the, the change that um, has um, uh, occurred with the uh, with with the CDC is. I think that clarifies what we what we have kind of understood throughout this pandemic. Uh, I think there's no question. I mean, ventilation, of course, is important. And we, uh, through uh, federal funding combined with provincial funding, we mm-hmm. invested over $160 million across the school system uh, to, uh, to provide for things like improving uh, cleaning. Uh, so we've hired many more, hundreds of more custodians across the system, hundreds more teachers, more uh, counselors, more uh, uh, investments in upgrading uh, HVAC systems, so that we are improving uh, we are improving ventilation, investments in um, personal protective equipment for uh, for teachers and education workers. So, and and there is another uh, there is another allocation of of federal money uh, coming, and we're working with our partners are on where that money can best be best be utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, absolutely, the BCCDC is on that. Our public health officials are, are working with districts on, on, on issues of ventilation. And where, where there are significant concerns, of course, we want to know about that because we want to mitigate those, uh, those risks. Mm-hmm. One of the, uh, one of the uh, recommendations by the BCTF, and that's been a long-standing recommendation since uh, the pandemic began, and even before the pandemic, and especially now, is about class sizes. And it may not be as simplistic to reduce the class sizes, I can appreciate that, but what still more can be done to, to ensure that there are fewer students in a classroom so that the, the physical distancing can be ensured? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is true that I mean, fewer students in classrooms creates um, um, other other concerns, and we don't want to be in a situation where we uh, where children don't have access to in class learning because we all agree that um, schools play a, a critical role in society, a critical role for children, not only in terms of uh, the learning, the instruction that they receive, but in terms of the other supports they receive, be they mental health, uh, supports, uh, supports or uh, you know, access to food programs and, and, and the like. So maintaining in-class learning is very, very important. And what, what districts have done is focused on um, where, uh, they, uh, where they can 
uh, arranged schedules and uh, flow through schools to reduce density um, in in schools. So, for example, at Earl Marriott, Mm -hmm. uh, even though we know that that is a school that is overcapacity and we're building a new school to address the overcapacity, the enrollment pressure in that region, uh, we know that they've adjusted uh, their courses so that some of their students are learning online. So at any given time, there are there is there is in fact reduced capacity, a uh, reduced density in that school because not all students are in that school um, at the same time every day. So it's uh, it, it is a more uh, a more complex problem. It's not as simple mm-hmm. as simply saying you know we'll we'll, we'll reduce uh, you know if we reduced um, class sizes by X amount, then that would. Um, for one thing, automatically reduce the risk. I think we also don't know that because what we do know about COVID is that what's happening in schools is a reflection of what's happening in our communities. And so the risk to schools doesn't, is it doesn't, doesn't generate from schools themselves. The risk to schools is in the community. And that is why it is so important that we all uh, adhere to the public health uh, directives that, that, that we're receiving, to the public health advice and to the orders, and do everything that we can to reduce uh, tra- transmission in the community, because really that is what will make our schools safe. Mm-hmm. Mr. White said, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Have a very good day. You Bye-bye. too. Thank you. Bye-bye.